Breakfast Metal episode 80. I'm recording this episode directly after 77, the uh, Forgotten Death Metal Gems part 3. But uh, I think to release this on a kind of schedule, I'm probably going to do the end of the year wrap up in the meantime. So I think this is episode 80. We'll go with that for now. Me and Rob better make two parts of out of the end of year wrap up. So this is a continuation of that series I've been doing, looking at death metal albums that I think are deserving of more attention. I think I always like keep going back to I think forgotten's the wrong word in hindsight, but you know that's what I went with now. So so whatever. But yeah, these are these are albums through the years that I think are really decent, and and for me actually a lot of them are ones I've discovered relatively recently, or only just being able to get hold of. So a lot of these albums are primarily only available if you can pick up the CD through something like Discogs, although a few of the ones we've covered in the past are available via stuff like Bandcamp. So to kick things off is an album that I don't think Forgotten is fair, but um, at least a little difficult to pick up these days. This is Cenotaph's debut full-length, The Gloomy Reflections of Our Hidden Sorrows. So this is the Mexican Cenotaph, and this is their album from 1992. They've done a fair amount of work in the lead-up to this, putting out two EPs and two demos um, prior to this this debut and what, what we get on this debut is a brilliant mix of kind of death metal, doom metal and even odd touches of that kind of burgeoning American brutal death scene. Cenotaph at the core are a really atmospheric band like as much as they have these like they, they are quite a heavy brutal band I feel the primary focus of this album is creating a really cool like quite uh consistent like sonic soundscape like the the vocals add to it really perfectly the the sort of their delivery is it is a kind of um standard like kind of guttural but it has that nice like almost translucency that, that i like from like the more atmospheric end of stuff the guitar tone is this really thick, kind of rich sound. For an album from 92, this, this album has a really fantastic sound to it. The bits where it steps away from, say, say the more atmospheric stuff are where we go into, like, proper, like, Vader, Slayer-style um, dive bomb leads. like, And the leads are very much that, that take where it is, like, almost going completely out of the scale of the riff into the kind of this nasty shred territory but overall it's just like i think even that actually still adds to this kind of like horror atmosphere but those are the things that cut through and jump out of the mix because the vocals are as i say so low and kind of um sort of mixed in with the sound even those don't jump out as anything huge it's all all creating this great atmosphere now despite kind of having so I say like doomy elements and doomy riffs the songs don't drag on too long they all sit you know never crossing even the longest like about the eight minute mark but they are like packed tightly with lots of really really solid riffs um there's occasional stabs of like keyboards over the top of it but nothing massively huge actually a really fun thing about this album is it the first track requiem for a soul request is a less than two minute long instrumental which totally does a kind of bait and switch of making you think it's an old style death metal like crappy synth intro that has nothing to do with the rest of the album 
and he does that for six seconds and then breaks into there being this immensely groovy like minute and a half in like vocal free instrumental before going into the first proper track ashes in the rain which is actually a fantastic intro to the album but that that like a relevant bit of synth at the start i think i don't know it seems like almost a funny nod to the way other bands deal with this type of thing they change things up a bit on tracks like a red sky to say there, there's some influence from the kind of like the suffocation of the american scene i think because this track has like a near slam in the middle of it and it's it's like sort of middle eight section but then we get some more interesting sort of use of like clean tone guitars and stuff in some of the other like passages of stuff like evoked doom it's it's really well put together on that front another thing i really like about this is the band have put a lot of effort into the um into the lyrics so it's a very poetically written album um, as you can probably guess from having a title like gloomy reflections of our hidden sorrow it is not your standard kind of death and gore themed like the the lyrics are really quite poetic uh daniel cocherado uh the vocalist and bass player i believe is the primary lyricist um he yeah he's really put some work into this to make it a really full product and, and on that um on that note, it, it's got a great cover. The cover, um, the cover artwork, I think, is um, very reminiscent of uh, of Guy of Giga. Um, this this kind of weird uh, twist, like this eye and this weird twisted, detailed shape. It's uh, it's done by a Polish artist whose name I will not attempt to butcher. But yeah, like a really really cool kind of sinister interesting looking cover and the band haven't like an excellent logo on top of this so it's a really it's a really full package like the the low like, as i say the, the logo everything about it just looks great and the sound of the album's really strong as well like i love i really love the mix of this album i and i love the way they've gone for this kind of like yeah this really atmospheric sound of it they're a band um I need to check out more from because they they were active for a further four albums and sort of have reformed again. They sort of broke up in the late two late sort of two thousand two and then reformed again in twenty eighteen. So I think of starting to you know put stuff put stuff out again. In fact, actually, this is something I, I definitely want to look into. I think they've re released some of their really early EPs because annoyingly the the version I've got of this isn't like one of those fun re-release ones where you get all the demos and EPs, their early stuff um, I still need to get hold of. And I've not listened to many of their later albums. I, I need to make the effort to go through that. Interestingly, um, uh, Michael Tote recommended me a really good um, recommended uh, band, recommended, really good related band um, that I need to spend some more time on. This is The Chasm, which is uh, vocalist Daniel's new project. And I was listening the other day to their... 2009 album uh far seeing the paranormal abysm abyss abysm maybe I'm, I'm not sure how to say that last word uh and this was another really really solid release like it seemed actually like i've only given it two or three listens so far but it seemed incredibly kind of um like massive scope death metal like again like his lyric writing is still utterly incredible but the songs seem to have a huge amount of like hidden depth and atmosphere so yeah the chasm i highly recommend a band who 
very much still seem to be active at the moment. They had a, a 2017 uh, full-length, uh, which title ends in Phase 1, so I assume there's a Phase 2 coming at some point. But yeah, like, this guy has clearly gone on and it's still absolute like an absolutely excellent songwriter yeah the chasm um have got about eight albums themselves so i've got a huge amount of listening to do do post this episode but a great start point for all of this is uh the the excellent gloomy reflection of our hidden sorrow a really unique take on death metal at the time blending elements of the sort of like as I say, some some touches of like the New York sound, but then there's a lot of like Swedish death metal influence. I feel on this, like some of the kind of structures and the atmospheres they're creating, more in line with stuff like Cemetery, who I covered on the last part of this, um, but without the the buzzsaw guitar tone. This is just yeah, they, this is a nice melding of a lot of different, um, a lot of different sounds and just really fantastically put together. We have a really interesting one. This is Austria's Visceral Evisceration with their one and only album, Incessant Desire for Palatable Flesh, um, front cover of which is a woman's leg sticking out of a meat grinder. So, 
if you're not familiar with this band, you are totally picturing a sound, right? There is such a specific sound with it. And you're completely right. Yes, this band sounded exactly like Paradise Lost Gothic. For some reason, they, this is a really unique um, idea. I, I don't... I, I can see why this only happened once. Um, I initially heard about this album... Uh, through uh, the Death Metal Dads podcast, I think um, Aesop Decker brought it in. And it, this album is a kind of, to the, like, like to the minute details, replica of a Paradise Lost, uh, that particular Paradise Lost album. Um, but all the lyrics are like these horrible, like, gore, necrophilia, cannibalism, just like, just really, really like stupid, gruesome lyrics over this immensely beautiful, like, melodic death doom metal. It, it's incredible. It, it is such a weird album. Um, uh, like, vocalist uh, Hanig's Wuganig uh, is this brilliant, like, um, singer he, he he does the paradise lost thing of switching back and forth between like this deep rumbling growl and then these like almost operatic like low cleans like absolutely wonderful voice and i can't find her credited anywhere but every so often just to capitalize on how funny this is these beautiful female operatic vocals come into like counter off of him and all the way through, the the melodies are absolutely amazing with these like orchestral backing moments in places, but then switching back into this slow death metal for like the heavier sections. The songs are these massive, expansive, like almost ten minute long pieces in a lot of places. They go through so many like, amazing transitions. Like genuinely, if you love Paradise Lost Gothic, this is a perfect follow-up where they don't change like paradise lost obviously evolved each album became more or less a new band for their like first eight albums like each time whereas this this is totally like the follow-up if they'd they'd stayed on the same path but i can never get past like the the tying it to that cover and and songs like knee deep i wade in blood um I am enamoured of dead bodies uh, and, and and ones that get far more fucking gruesome than that. But this but sung in an operatic voice, it's it is absolutely amazing. The the lead guitarist is well and truly um, channeling uh, Greg McIntosh on this. Um, but yeah, I, I because I got this through through Bandcamp, I I can't find a lot of details about who's doing all the additional stuff and I can't find a credit for that vocalist or or all this amazing like keyboard orchestration they've added on top of it but the music is absolutely brilliant they're another one of those bands which is gutting they're so short-lived because I would love to see this reproduced live it's it's really amazing and doing something like you know even Paradise Lost don't play a great deal of like their gothic era material anymore um yeah, but the, sadly, this band, like, they put out, like, a, a demo uh, briefly before this, and then they changed their name, like, hilariously, unfortunately, to As I Lay Dying, um, put out one demo, and then dissolved that. 
Fortunately, this came out on Napalm Records, so it's really easy to get on Bandcamp now. You don't need to go hunting through through Discogs to get hold of this album. It's um, yeah, it's it's easily gettable, which is is going to be rare for some of the stuff I, I'm covering in this episode. I do apologise about that. I I want to I want to cover and talk about a lot of these bands, but I realise it's somewhat unfair. They're not the easiest to to track down. But yeah, this one up on Bandcamp, and it's. As I say, it's absolutely brilliant. Like all the the musicianship is well. If you thought Paradise Lost were good, these guys are also good. I guess the guitarist—he's not quite Greg McIntosh, but he's really, uh, really doing a good job of of playing with style. And actually, I think I might like their vocalist more than Paradise Lost vocalist on those early albums. Like he has a really incredible range, doing that great like. I say he does both screams and operatic. He does this amazing thing where he kind of melds the two into each other. Um, like, the, sort of the, the screams get mildly more melodic and until, like, you don't notice he's finally like, fully singing. And it's got a really great, like, emotional weight to it. This is a very weepy, emotional album. And because the vocals are kind of... Because they're, they're either screamed or operatic, either way, impossible to understand, you listen to it and think, oh, this must be about something so so deep and personal. But no, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's chewing on female genital parts, apparently. <laughs> Just absolutely baffling album. But if you ignore the awful lyric writing... It is masterful. It is a really, really good album. Just possibly decent to get through Bandcamp where you don't have to get a lyric book with it.
next one, let's go for something a bit more modern. And this was a band recommended by a listener of the podcast, Dustin Matthews. And I, I kicked myself I've not heard this before. So this is the one and only album, well, at least one and only so far, from the California-based band Death Evocation. This is their 2007 album, The Chalice of Ages. So Death Evocation, that is spelt... Um, evocation with a k not a c it the name is taken from the carnage slash dismember song death evocation and is spelt in the way it's spelt in the dismember demo not the way it's spelt on uh on the dismember album because these guys are fucking cult um <laughs> but yeah you know songs great on both releases i don't know whether i prefer the demo or the um the original one and you know Nailing their colours to the mast with that. This is an album that is certainly based around worshipping that classic period of Swedish death metal. In the last Death Metal Gems episode, we covered a couple of bands in that vein that are well worth sort of checking out. Um, these guys are much like something like Cemetery, weren't truly on the dismember worship train, but much like Cemetery, actually they seem to be more so than Dismember themselves, focused on a excellent atmosphere throughout. Like, really, really strong, like, nasty, evil sound to it. And what, like, grabbed me about this straight away is actually something, um, not quite in the same way, but something I always loved about Edge of Sanity. Edge of Sanity always have these, these kind of melodic riffs that just immediately hook me, and they're just, like, the best thing I've heard at that moment. That riff kicks in, thinking anything from Purgatory Afterglow, like like the uh, the opener, Twilight, all those riffs, like when they hit, you're just like, yes, this is the best thing. Death Evocation is an album of that. The, the Chance of Ages is just packed with amazing melodic riff after riff. But where Edge of Sanity like stick quite firmly in the sort of melodic death metal camp, because the rhythm section behind any of these given, like, slightly scary leads is so hefty in death metal, like, it never stops feeling like anything other than, like, quite a brutal piece of music. Like, I wouldn't show Deathification to people who aren't already at least slightly versed in the realm of death metal. Uh, but all that being said, like, it's just a... It is a really, really solid death metal album. So maybe, maybe it would be fair to give this to someone as their their first um, their first listen of death metal because it's it's pulled off nearly perfectly. the The sort of the guitar work is so reminiscent of that Swedish sound. the The bass and drums like totally do their job. There's nothing too flashy in here. But then. Outside of the melodicism of the guitars, there's nothing too flashy in that either. Um, the vocalist and guitarist, Goffs Volslang, is, is again, like, he's kind of understated with his vocal delivery. They're great vocals, but they are just this kind of classic, like, mid-range rasp, which works perfectly with that that Swedish sound. Considering the explosion of, like, Swedish death metal worship bands that came in like, the last 10, 12 years. I feel kind of bad for these guys, because I'd miss them. Maybe, maybe they are more well-known, uh, being from the UK. Like, there might be something that these guys kicked in a lot more in the States, where they, they could tour more readily. But I'd completely miss these until Dustin brought them up to me. And 
this is, I'm going to go on a limb and say, probably my favourite, like, straight Swedish death metal worship album I've heard from the last 20 years. And I know I, there's been hundreds, and I'm obviously missing hundreds of them, but this one, this one just nailed the atmosphere so well, that sense of horror and fear, that channeling of horror movie soundtracks so much of the early Swedish scene was doing. Yeah, just really, really enjoyed this one and i think if you um if you're like even if you're burnt out on that kind of sound this one's well worth we're going into because well it's not so much obsessed with directly copying the production of those those bands like it's um it does sound like a relatively modern album sadly though like there doesn't seem to be a great deal else from these guys i don't know if um they did a couple of splits in 2009, and according to uh, to Bandcamp, they're still active. But they're, they're they're sort of unsigned, independent, and you know haven't released anything in the last ten years. Like a, a couple of their members are in um, in other bands, but I've I've not really come across any of their other ones, and they, they don't seem to have a huge amount of like albums like sort of under their belt between them. Though flicking through, they have recruited a new drummer as of 2020, so I don't know whether it's. Uh, lack of a drummer was stopping them from performing for a while so so maybe there is something something coming from these guys in the near future i'd love to hear more of this because this is the most excited i've been for a kind of swedish death metal throwback in a very long time and yeah these guys just pull it off fantastically <laughs> two albums that were quite easy to get hold of is one that is borderline impossible 
this is Infanticide from the Czech Republic with their one and only album Infanticide uh, in 1998. Now, this album is all up on YouTube, so you, like you can listen to it, but I won't be able to feature a track because I was not able to get hold of like this in any form. It's on Discogs currently for about £200, which, yeah, it's a great album, but it's not quite worth that. And this this is really another like one I found like really interesting, like a really exciting release. So it starts off as a this kind of like extremely roughly recorded, like mid-paced death metal album, sort of all the usual things you'd expect from a kind of starting up death metal band, like the the sort of the riffing is fairly simple, sort of chuggy stuff and the vocal delivery is a kind of standard um, mid-range, fairly harsh growl. Uh, the, the production is very raw, um, but the, the riffs have a good groove to them. And then, like, in the first track, they throw in this... Um, like, you start noticing things get weird when they throw in this super bluesy bit of lead guitar. This, like, like almost out of another song, this lead guitar section comes in. Then we get, you know, the album continues on with its kind of rough death metal. And then at about the seven minute mark, the whole thing just goes completely bizarre. And they decide to throw in every idea under the sun. We get um, the track IQ 75, which is this strange kind of um, industrial, kind of sort of like industrial slash electronica interlude. And then you get Trilogy, the 14-minute-long centerpiece of the album, which um, sort of comes out of that, like, electronica section into this, like, long bit of, like, horror movie keyboards, that, that real, really channeling that kind of, um, yeah, that horror movie atmosphere through this keyboard section, you know, much like the kind of uh, left-hand path bit. But then, rather than going into like the back into the death metal, you get this amazing section of really catchy um, Spanish acoustic, like Spanish acoustic guitar section, and it's it's like that is really cool in itself. But then that starts melding with uh, like the the distorted guitar comes back in and starts basically like dueling with the acoustic guitar. And at this point, I was like, I, I don't know what the fuck this album is like. We've had about five genres already, and we're under 20 minutes into the album. Um, and the Trilogy eventually builds back up into the death metal of the early album. But then there's amazing acoustic guitar solo thrown in um, over like, the final outro of this song um, while it's still playing the kind of like, with the death metal sound. And it's, it's just so creative and brilliant. Um, the the album then sort of for a moment remembers as a death metal band, and then we get the six minute um, electronic interlude, Land of uh, Fallen Fishbones, where once again we've completely departed any realm of sense. It, it's it's a ridiculous album. There, there, there's the the couple more tracks which are more back in the vein of the openers to to bring the album to a close, but it it's just utterly bizarre. I I couldn't. I, I can see why it's unknown and why it's unpopular because I think for many people this would be too schizophrenic. This would be too like like it's not it's not coherent. It doesn't make any sense. The but that middle track trilogy is so brilliant, and I really like the opener. Eyes so deep with that kind of 
like inclusion of blues over a kind of you know mid-place kind of groovy death metal that that worked really nicely there's a load of great ideas in here um the band as i say were incredibly short-lived the only um so the only sort of connected thing i could find is the vocalist and um i think backing vocalist and guitarist pete went on to form the band draco hypnalis who are equally nightmarish to find any material from actually they even harder to look up online but the bit i did find um they were very much like that neoclassical death metal style think like um uh hate breeder era children of bodom like a lot of that like kind of dueling guitar and keyboard very very shreddy and bombastic stuff for me nowhere near as exciting as infanticide infanticide is a totally unique album um I, I've just, I, I was blown away with it, but then I, I do, like, you probably realise from the, a lot of these episodes, I, I do really have a lot of time for that kind of really, um, like, genre-melding stuff. And and the, the moments where they get this right, where like, particularly the acoustic guitar mixed into death metal stuff, is just so good. It, it just works so incredibly well. And the death metal side of this is really decent if you can look past the incredibly raw production. As I say, sadly, I won't be able to feature anything from this because I, I just can't get hold of the album. But if you can find a way to do, do so, please let me know because I'd be... Yeah, I'd really love to be able to listen to this outside of YouTube. And, and please go check it out because it's, it's certainly an interesting experience. So moving on from that, um, another band I found really recently that I, I was really excited by. This is Poland's Neolithic with their debut album, For Destroy the Lament, from 1996. So I guess vaguely similarly to something like this or Evisceration, this is that very kind of progressive gothic death doom. But it's unlike... Um, Unlike Visceral Evisceration, it's not um, worshipping anything in particular. This album has a really unique sound for it. The The intro for Destroy the Lament really sets the tone of this... It's this um, instrumental intro with a kind of mixture of acoustic guitar, heavy synth keyboards, massive, like... Um, heavy doomy chords uh like lots of distorted stuff mixed in with that acoustic constantly going back and forth in this really atmospheric style when the vocals kick in on the first track oddity they start off in this really odd cadence this kind of these very weepy semi-clean vocals but then like later in the album it moves into a much more kind of guttural like death metal growl the whole thing never, like, accelerates much past, like, the kind of mid-paced. This is far more a Doom album than it is a death metal album, I guess. And and certainly channeling a bit of energy of that kind of the peace feel free, I think. Like, particularly 1996, you know, all those bands had kind of evolved past their, their early sounds. But what I love about this is it's constantly moving between these really atmospheric passages and then these these sort of really catchy like rocky melodies like the the sort of the heavier moments are are these wonderfully catchy things like the lead guitarist brings in these great kind of um these great riffs over 
over these like sort of passages that just like really get your head bobbing before we get back into the next like big vocal melody which will then be like really weepy and kind of um yeah very it's very doomy in that classic sense like that kind of really woe is me kind of stuff and and i think it works perfectly the music is such a great fit and the the vocal delivery works so well with it they they have a dedicated keyboard player as well which means the the sound is is really quite full throughout two guitarists as well like there's so many like interesting elements to this like great kind of as i say great kind of catchy moments great kind of more atmospheric bits the only things that somewhat let it down in places is um the lead guitarist definitely has some like neoclassical pretensions and then like some of the solos goes for these quite kind of flashy actually referencing children of Bodom before like some of their like early work but he isn't quite of that level so those can sound kind of sloppy but it does sort of add to the unique charm of this album like there there's that whole as you may have guessed as well from the title an incredibly um an interesting very broken english vibe to it for destroy the lament i don't believe it <laughs> means anything particularly but but the as much as the lyrics are a bit messy they they seem they seem very heartfelt the album cover is is astounding it's totally bizarre and i love it like this band had a real aesthetic for a couple of releases that was totally unique to them it's like so the cover is this like sleeping woman's face like kind of all illuminated in like kind of like gold color with these two strange like laughing blue faces behind it like but their faces like sort of devoid of any body with like almost mounted on what like looks like deep sea creature bodies and the whole thing is in like surrounded by like bubbles as if we're looking at some strange uh seascape it absolutely bizarre but with their um their the band logo is just their name neolithic in in red block font it's a really really unique aesthetic and the, the album has such a good sound to it like the they absolutely nailed getting that guitar tone for it. Like, the guitar is real front and centre in it. And, yeah, the, the tone they've gone for works so well with this style of Doom. The The band would um, later have some really uh, quite kind of uh, um, big names join it. So they, they keep going up to the early 2000s. Um, and at which point they are joined by Orion, who would later go on to be in Behemoth, and um, Darie on drums, who would later be like a member of Vader for for their albums. I, I, um, Impressions in Blood, I know he's on, um, but he's been in, in myriad projects. Like yeah, been in quite like quite a lot of bands. He's currently in um, Visania, uh, Orion's like symphonic black metal project but yeah something kind of odd happens there because the last thing they put out is an ep called team 666 which seems like an incredible change in direction so i've listened to a lot of the stuff around this album before before destroy before destroy lament there is the personal fragment of life demo which is equally excellent it has a lot of the hallmarks that would be in the album the amazing kind of 
vocal performance um and the amazing like sort of melodicism and complex song structures are all kind of already there and then they have a self-titled ep following it up which is again more more of the same but really decent um in 2003 we get the my beautiful enemy album which i i don't think is quite as good but it, it still has a lot of those kind of hallmarks and and the cover is is again a, a very weird um stylist like in the same style all the art for this period has been in the same style whereas this final ep that came out the same year as that album just seems like a totally different idea and I, I don't know quite what happened there but the band would quickly then split up and basically every member from that version of the lineup went on to form the heavy metal stoner band black river which is you know still to this day um features orion and darier and they and um and uh, yeah and, and a few other like ex-neolithic guys um put out an album in 2019 even like they, these guys have a few under this name but they they switched into being a heavy metal stoner rock kind of band so yeah there's huge direction change there and i'm not quite quite sure what um what brought that about but this album is well worth going back to if you're a fan of that kind of peaceful era doom scene and want to see a very different take on it neolithic is is a great example of that i was I, I was really amazed I'd never heard of this before. It's um, and possibly it's it's lesser known because it it is a like an old Polish like death metal album. Like that scene doesn't really become really well known till like sort of Vader and Behemoth start blowing up in later years. But so worth looking at. A really really interesting artifact and as a worth delving into a lot of the the albums around around the band at this time hopefully i will be able to insert a, a song here um i've ordered the album off discogs and hopefully and get through customs in time for uh putting out the the episode
so a kind of related act, or at least one, I don't know if they're remotely related, but one I found through, um, actually I think I found Neolithic through these guys. This is Great Sorrow from Russia, and I'm going to be talking about their debut album, Maze of Doom, from 1993. So this one um, predates... Um, Neolithic by quite a lot and I don't know why I've kind of lumped these two together in my head like Great Sorrow have quite a different approach to the Death Doom sound um the, their their debut album is four kind of fairly long like yeah fairly monolithic tracks like the final on the album is is over 13 minutes but they're these big expansive very open Doom songs whereas um Neolithic relied on like clean vocals and and keyboards for a lot of their melodic atmospheric stuff Great Sorrow um is far more just brilliant sad sounding Doom riffing the whole the whole album is at this very kind of very slow plodding pace with like even like say when it gets into faster double kick sections they never kick up to like incredibly quick like they're they're just they're sort of just faster than the average person would go with one foot kind of thing the guitar work is mostly as i say these kind of very sad slightly melodic passages occasionally breaking away into some like quite like tasty bits of lead guitar uh andre gore and uh andre lerman both very gifted guitarists um the whole band are like really decent players uh nikita the bass player uh throws in some interesting like additions kind of sort of going around some of the lead melodies adding more in there um vocalics uh vocalist alex urovov um he's a kind of your traditional doom screamer he's just got that low long drawn out kind of rumbling guttural and it, it sounds really good it fits perfectly with these kind of melodies like i think almost like going for cleans and stuff with the sound they've gone for here because it's so sparse and expansive would be layering on a bit too thick i think it it really it really does the job well I think I've, I've put my finger on why I connect this to Neolithic is this band have an equally weird choice of um, of artwork. The, the cover for Maze of Doom is well worth looking up. It's this bizarre kind of image like in space like over a kind of a moon like Martian type landscape of this this cube of like kind of you know like kind of like a 90s like 3d drawing look of like these three faces emerging from it but then there's like water bubbles in the background possibly why i'm getting the the neolithic vibe and just a very much like the neolithic one like an amazing color palette of blues and yellows and greens and yeah it's just i really like this strange take on um on on album covers these these death doom bands were going for it's it's really unique this one um does not have the refined sound the the neolithic album has it is very very raw and rough around the edges annoyingly as well so i picked up the cd for it off of discogs and i've previously i'd heard it through youtube and there's like a kind of i think the cd i've got i wonder if it's like a rip off of vinyl because um it has this kind of like pops and hisses in it which i don't believe are on the youtube mix i heard like it sounds so the track when i feature it possibly 
it's shouldn't sound quite as distorted as what I'm playing here. I do apologize about that. I can only go with um with what I've got to hand, but yeah, that that's kind of odd and kind of annoying because the um the original album's kind of at the edge of what I would say is um is acceptable. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what why why it sounds quite that bad. Um, the band actually, unlike well, I don't know, nearly if it kept going for a while. The band went on for quite a while after this, so. Their debut, Maze of Dooms, 1993, but they've put out a further five albums since, and um, and over that time, apparently morphed into a hard rock, heavy metal band. You know, they find their their latest release, an EP called Rock Again, um, which yeah, it looks like these guys have totally done a zizmer and completely distanced themselves from their their earlier sound, which is a shame because I, I I really like this, but. You know, the the follow up Dream Solitude Silence looks like it's more in the the vein of the predecessor, and um, yeah, definitely another one on this list where I really want to delve into more of the catalogue because I, I felt this was a very very creative debut. Now, the only slightly worrying thing is it's put out on a record label called Final Holocaust Records, which um, not the uh, not the the nicest sounding name, but then looking at the label, they have put out uh, an autopsy album, a benediction album, uh, pungent stench, my dying bride, yeah, like probably fine, just a very edge lordy choice of names. And actually, I was looking up um, the only the only member of the band I can find who um, had any other sort of notable projects is bass player Nikita Prashikov, um, who is in a band whose name I. Don't even know how to say, like, uh, Russian fantasy and paganism folklore folk metal band, which initially might be a bit of a warning sign, but according to the Metal Archives, uh band has a strong anti-fascist, anti-racist position. So, you know, probably cool guys, so nothing to worry about there. That's that. All good. Um, but yeah, I, I highly advise go giving this one a listen. It's, it's some really solid uh, Death Doom kind of no frills but intricately constructed
say, very sorry about the production of that. That sounds like a badly recorded cassette. <laughs> Listening back to it, hopefully the the cool lead guitar and vocals could shine through that that rough fuzz for you enough to get a get an appreciation of the sound of the album. So I think we've slowed it down for a bit there. Time to throw in something kind of fast. And this album, I think, might be much more famous than I think it is, but. Um, Probably just showing my ignorance around the world of grindcore. This is another Czech Republic band in growing with their debut album Cyberspace. And these guys on this album do this fantastic melding of grind, brutal death metal, and even touches of tech death. Like, it's a really interesting, like, super brutal album. So... They'd done a lot of work up to this point, apparently getting signed off the back of an extremely strong live show at Brutal Assault in 1996. The band put out like a shit ton of split albums before their first full length in true, in true grind fashion. And they, there's a lot to lot to notice like about their their first full length Cyberspace just on just on noticing the album cover, much like the two bands before. Very unique album cover. Unlike the bands before, an album cover that is dated horrifically. There's a there's a great passage in like I've got like a, a I think a re-release of the album here. Uh, there's a great passage about the cover in there. The original graphic appearance provides proof of the possibilities of enjoying other beauties than chowing on meat or sitting in a puddle of blood. A brilliant idea for its time that received a surprising response. After all, the development of digital technologies was still in its infancy, and few of us actually use the internet. The author of the graphics and lyrics, uh, Simus, was also fascinated by the underwater world at the time. So, the cover is this really odd thing of, like, this kind of face emerging out of this, um, I don't know, like, that kind of, like, blue square grid on a black background. Very, um... Very reminiscent of the, the Great Sorrow cover, actually. Unlike the Great Sorrow cover... Um, I feel it is dated appallingly, but you know, at least a unique idea for the time. And and uh, I like with a band like In Growing doing this kind of hyper brutal uh, death metal slash grindcore, having lyrical fodder that is primarily kind of pretentious sci fi and futurism kind of stuff. It's it's really cool i mean it does result in the first track of the album called being called underchurf which is not as good a pun as i think it is but that aside it is really like this is a really cool album and there's touches of those sort of sci-fi elements thrown in the album um on the second track cyberspace floats through me there is like i think the first solo of the album but there's this lead guitar passage that sounds futuristic it's a really bizarre structure and like incredibly complex the the guitarist who is whoever whichever of the two uh eddie or puzar is playing it is incredibly uh uh gifted but like yeah it's there's something about the construction that sounds oddly and maybe it's just the effects I use, but yeah, it does sound oddly futuristic to me. And and there is something about this album that like has that kind of theme ru- running through it. Like, the the cover is appropriate, I guess, and and possibly in nineteen ninety eight actually looked cool. It's just now certainly certainly looks very of its time. One of the real standouts of this album, like the first thing that that jumped out to me, is uh, bass player slash vocalist uh, Falcon's vocals. He, his vocal performance is 
is incredible. He does so many uh, different styles. He's kind of, his comfort zone seems to be this quite fast, like, low, uh, like, guttural that he keeps doing. But in true growing fashion, he also has a brilliant high that he can switch into um, at any moment. Now, I don't know how, like, apparently they're a good live band. I obviously, I've not seen them live and I haven't haven't looked up any footage of them. But I don't know how much he replicates this because he he sort of overlayers a lot of his vocals. He's not doing, like, the Glenn Benton double tracking thing, but there's loads where there'll be, like, a, a low section like on the groove and then it'll come in with a really high scream like halfway through it which obviously couldn't be recreated live because essentially two different voices going on at once but those like when those high streaks come in it's like a great punctuation to the sound and he also throws in some really like really fun like weird things which i imagine are very much in that castle decapitation vein of like experimental vocal stuff um these really like gross phlegmy noises and bizarre shrieks that are like put in different places throughout the album it's really cool stuff i i love like that level of experimenting and vocals especially in that death grind kind of space the the performances in the album are are really incredibly impressive i mean mostly they're impressive because they're so fast like the drummer is is blasting and just being intense for the whole runtime of the like 30 minutes or so runtime of this album the bass player you can't really hear that well but you occasionally get a cool like clack of the the bass guitar coming through the mix it's a pretty raw mix it's kind of um almost like a touch washed out it's like quite a quiet mix and i isn't the one thing i'd sort of hold against it but i think um for the time not totally unreasonable and the guitars have a great tone to them if um if again as i say are touched washed out they're one of the reasons i say this band like almost certainly aren't that unknown is they have free follow-up albums and apparently are like still active and still they have a couple of eps a couple more splits as well so they they certainly they certainly didn't stop at this album, but I think uh, Cyberspace is well worth going back to. Uh, it's certainly a kind of I don't know if it was reinventing anything in '98, but like grind had been very well established at that point. But I do think that melding of some elements of sort of more modern tech death and and more modern death metal into the grind sound really um really adds something to it most of the songs do sit at that kind of comfortable three minute mark there is a moment that i don't understand at all in this album the outro perpetual the unplugged factory doesn't make any sense to me i just don't know what they were going for with this this four minute song but essentially it's the album closer so you you can totally live without it much like in the previous episode, this is another one I've got the CD of, and it's a really cool package where they've they've put it together with the um, the '97 deformed demo, uh, which is like another like almost same length as the album again, um, uh, like kind of great kind of proto the sound of this album release, and then um, two bonus tracks from the LP version. Um, a uh impetigo cover of uh B 
bitch deaf teenage mucus <laughs> mucus monsters from hell and deranged for the loathsome by uh hemorrhage the impetigo cover is well worth hearing actually because saying how experimental the vocalist gets like so if you know impetigo they had quite a unique vocal approach on this song he just totally goes for it and i don't know what on earth he's doing but i want to hear more of it it's absolutely bizarre this cover it's such an over-the-top vocal performance but if you're doing an impetigo song i think you you've got to go go full in like they did on this and it it really works so yeah well worth picking up the the kind of the re-release of this because it's yeah, a really nice full package, like an over-hour-long listen. And for a band, this kind of fast and technical, an hour of this music is is a hell of a lot to digest. But yeah, just a really, really strong Grind album. This is one as well, for those of you who, who do know Grind well, easing growing something that was sort of really well-known to you before. Because as I say, it's, um, it's a totally new one on me, but I think I might just be incredibly ignorant of this genre.
so with this um, this series, I, I know I've been primarily focusing on like '90s death metal bands, and I think that's mainly because it's kind of easier to to choose ones that are you know noticeably a bit more obscure. With with anything in the past ten years, I really struggle to know if if something is underground or not. But I've got an album for you here from or an EP actually from 2010, which I can guarantee is kind of obscure and probably one that only I'm going to like, but I'll recommend it nonetheless. This is the Chinese band Excruciate with their third EP, Narkara. Um, so Excruciate is a one-man project of a guy who goes by the name Corpse Songs, and it is an incredibly rough kind of like bedroom death metal project with like very noticeably programmed drums, this extremely kind of raw uh, guitar sound, like a very like far away vocal mix. But there is something about that that gives this album, and this is the only one I've actually been able to track down a, a copy of, like the other stuff I managed to hear, like the odd snippet of other songs from some of his other releases, which were all all kind of in this vein. I, I felt really good. But yeah, the, the thing Excruciate have running through their... Um, their kind of sort of short run of releases is there's an incredible sense of horror to them. I find these, like all these EPs, deeply affecting. There's something very, very scary about the sound he's gone for. The, um, the vocals are entirely this extremely low uh, scream, but there is something odd about it. There is something slightly pained about it. The, the guitars, as I say, are like, like this very kind of um, sort of low in the mix, or the mix is just such a kind of mush of everything. Like, I believe there's a layer of synths in there as well, just playing like one odd horrific note mixed in with like the mess of guitar and bass. And yeah, the whole album, the whole EP, sorry, um, just has a deeply unsettling vibe to it uh, it's still death metal at its core though you would think from that kind of description that you might end up with something more akin to black metal but there are there's like there's leads thrown into this and the the leads are like again just more like well written like slightly creepy they're still fairly traditional uh death metal leads but yeah i just really like this i thought it was uh, incredibly strange and and unique like it really had an amazing amazing sound to it you, like you will be able to tell from the clip i play whether this is going to be your thing or not i i think this is an album that will make total sense to some of you and the majority of you will just be like this is too rough and ready too unfinalized um if you are interested though uh i I spent a long time trying to track it down and found on Bandcamp, the label that put it out, Dying Art Productions, has a really well-maintained uh, Bandcamp page with a huge amount of um, interesting, mainly Chinese bands, but like uh, a few others as well, um, from all sorts of genres. They're, they just seem to be a general extreme metal so they've got like sort of sleazy hard rock stuff in there there's a band called uh kale century who did some really raw thrash um there was there was a band who were kind of 
worshipping stormtroopers of death with an album called Speak Chinese or Die that I thought was uh, particularly entertaining. And they sort of took that slightly problematic stormtroopers of death idea and turned that as like a kind of um, attack on the Chinese state, from what I can understand from the lyrics, uh, they call themselves SCOD. So, yeah, it's a load of like uh, fresh worship stuff with like interesting takes on that kind of um, uh, like municipal waste style uh, cover and stuff. Yeah, a really interesting band camp to immerse yourself in. Some really, really fun stuff in there. I mean, there's a few cool bits of black metal and primarily, yeah, like kind of. Um, Fresh and deaf stuff, and then a lot of like weird atmospheric music. But yeah, I found like dying art productions was a really, really fun thing to die for on Bandcamp because you're guaranteed like you'll never speak to anyone who's sort of heard of these bands before. Then I don't believe they've got a, a single sort of well known artist on that label. But yeah, like, um, Excruciate again, um, a bit of a difficult one to look up because most of the titles are in Chinese, but um, the the title for this one will be will be in the notes of this. Uh, Na, it's it's spelled N A R A K A. It's I think it's the one of the ones that actually has like an English character title, so it's a, a touch easier to Google. Also, there's a lot of bands called Excruciate, quite a famous one from Sweden, who um, was actually the one I found this one through. But um, yeah, so Excruciate from China. So, um, 
actually, I think this is already running quite long, so I think I'm going to drop in a cool double bill to, to end this episode with. And uh, I've got another eight albums to go, so I think I'm just going to plow straight on and record possibly a touch shorter part three. Um, so, a band I'm going to end on for today is a double bill of their, their two albums. This is Germany's Assorted Heap, who, um, I'd say, started life as more or less... A thrash band, certainly the heavier end of thrash, but um, but yeah, with a touch of the death metal there. But they're that they're core. That these guys played thrash. Um, the band was formed uh, by the drummer and guitarist when they got fed up with their their previous band not playing fast enough and got themselves a bit of attention with their um, their 1988 Killing Peace demo. Interestingly, a title um, Onslaught would go later go on to use as a, for a full-length album. But in um, 1991, they they finally put out a full-length album, albeit a very short full-length album, uh, a full 27 minutes in total, of The Experience of Horror. Seemingly a running theme for this episode so far of another really odd, interesting cover, This um, this sort of parade of, like, demons and victims walking across the this kind of pulled apart strange tortured face like really cool album cover i, I think it's really impressive but the the core of the album is is nothing particularly surprising it is six tracks of well five tracks in an instrumental of real face melting balls to the wall thrash metal super fast um that kind of um Still sitting in a much higher register, the guitars are definitely not particularly detuned. I would I wouldn't expect they're anywhere below like drop D. This is not not in that like true um, death metal vein. Um, the drums are incredibly fast throughout. Um, vocalist uh, Dieda is does this great kind of um, over the top howl throughout with both guitarists Klaus and Gunter adding. Um, great kind of gang backing vocals every so often at the appropriate moments when when they go for a solo it's it's complete out there shred although they do change things up a little with um the that all is completely true for the title track experience of horror um but directly after that they go into a full-on like ride the lightning sort of melodic breakdown before coming back to like the thrashy chorus at the end so these guys like i guess as well you, you need to be at this point in like 1991 doing thrash but they know their thrash history and can recreate it to an amazing level so i mentioned there was that instrumental interlude of in vain um halfway through the album and this might be a bit of a sign of things to come this is a really cool part of it where you get uh, it starts off with this kind of like synth noise and kind of gentle acoustic guitar and then goes into like this very fancy acoustic guitar passage like really quite complex stuff and that kind of builds and gets more and more complex and just as it's kind of getting to its crescendo this like this heavy uh, distorted guitar chug fades in over it for the intro of uh, sold out souls so like yeah the, this kind of the blending of those two tracks is extremely cool and yeah then when we're back into the the thrashiness but i i love that like that sort of slight break in the middle of the album as i said if you're going to be playing thrash in 1991 you've got to be bringing something pretty exciting to the party really and i think these guys were the the way the drums are mixed on this album really accentuates the how decent their drummer was like uh, there's always this really driving loud 
very fast snare going throughout it, keeping everything like on this incredible groove. The guitars will often go off into quite like experimental territory with some of the riffing, but the bass and drums keep everything a bit more locked down. Like the guitars have some sort of slight reminiscence of stuff like uh, like Voivod or like early Annihilator. Not quite that experimental, but there are a touches of that kind of flashiness. But then often the when they get to like the the actual like self-indulgent solo sections, they will go full kind of Kerry King nonsense on it and just like complete like random noise shred and and that's really cool also uh the the version of this um this album i i picked up is an amazingly fleshed out so um the experience of horror is a 27 minute long like six five track proper release but the uh the version i have of it is yeah well over 70 minutes with the entirety of the killing peace demo and some additional bonus tracks uh from their like live and rehearsal demo um released in 1990 so yeah they've got a full spectrum of this band's early releases between these the two arms going to talk about we can actually pick up basically everything the band put out over their entire career but if you're you're a collector of interesting thrash metal I, I'd say this one is a near essential. It is it is a really, really strong album.
So after really mastering the kind of classic thrash metal sound on their debut, Assorted Heap take quite a strange left turn with their their follow-up album Mind Waves, where they go for this far more kind of later era um, coroner sound. They get a new bass player and vocalist in, and uh, Dirk Scheiman, the vocalist, has a very similar voice to um, to uh, Coroner's Ron Royce. Um, I think, yeah, really like incredibly similar delivery. That that kind of very clear, half spoken growl. It, it works really well. I, I really enjoy it. And the music is, yeah, as I say, very reminiscent of later Coroner. Actually, weirdly enough, the album it most put me in mind of of coroners is grin which would come out in 1993 the year after if you're gonna listen to two albums back to back this would make a, a good double bill with that so the the change is everything is slowed down despite you know it's still the same core of uh two guitarists and drummer that's still those incredibly gifted musicians i guess similar to the the coroner evolution just much faster of getting less technical as the albums go on like the 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 guitar tone is much more huge on this album it's really chunky and there's a lot um of slower chugging sections with these these yeah these harsh but clear vocals but then you get some really strange ideas start creeping in almost immediately the second half of the opener colored eyes goes into this like acoustic guitar passage with these odd semi-clean vocals and then like this amazing melodic lead like with the lead playing on this album actually it's not so much even that they're brilliant players it's just they have just the lead guitar tone that suddenly just makes the solo sound really important um then we get really strange things on the track what i confess where there is this long kind of build up with acoustic guitar and synths and like more of those clean vocals like the thing is, I do think The Experience of Horror is a stronger album, and I think some of that is with Mind Waves. The experimental elements are a touch tacked on. Like, they, they are good. They use a very good album. It's just, um, I would like a little more integration with it. And also, I don't think the clean vocals quite work. They're, they're a bit odd. <laughs> like, they just, uh, they feel like they're not quite getting to what they, um, what they should be but it's a minor criticism because there's not a huge amount of them and even tracks like what i confess that build from the melodic into when it goes like halfway through its eight minute runtime into a kind of more heavy section it does feel like a great payoff it feels like a really cool kind of change um it has a similar to that coroner grin album there's a lot of focus on repeating vocal lines having a, a hook of a couple of syllables like said over and over again um and the lyrical fodder seems to be a bit more kind of highbrow on this album uh than the than the predecessor the um the moments for me which actually get really good are stuff like towards the second half of the album like uh dealing with dilemma where the the kind of interesting use of synth and stuff is completely integrated with that thrash metal core of the album um yeah moments like that when it kicks in 
absolutely brilliant. And I really, as I say, I really love the the production the sound to this album. Like, I, they did do a really good job of only a year apart from the predecessor as well. So, like, you know, managing to change the sound that drastically in essentially a year um, and totally pull off a, what sounds like a new band. Like, yeah, one year apart. And this, this album's a bit longer than the last as well. Like, uh, it's a full sort of nine tracks. Um, yeah, far more kind of expansive just not quite as tight as the original not quite as like wall-to-wall perfect the cover's really interesting as well it's another another one of the bands sort of um channeling a bit of uh geiger or giga i can't remember which one's the correct of those two pronunciations i don't think it is his his work i think it is someone doing a uh an imitation um but that then does sit weirdly though with the assorted heap name which is a real like really feels like quite a jokey band name and the 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 typeface for that name is is a bit bit over the top but um yeah yeah it's um it's it's very like it's a very interesting artifact it is not perfect but i think if you enjoy the first album this is a really cool one to bring along and if you do like that later coroner sound this is the most I've ever heard a band channeling Coroner. And the fact they're like the kind of contemporary to them is really, really cool. Oh, I've just done some Googling. This is a really funny coincidence. The artist is the same guy channeling the um, the Geiger style as uh, on the Cenotaph album I brought up at the start of the episode. Uh, his name is Richard Wojtniski. Uh, he's a Polish artist. That's, that's really cool. He's um, confusingly credited as two different people on Metal Archives. One with the Polish version of his name, one with the um, the the kind of anglicised version of it. Oh, how weird. Oh, he's, he's a cool artist and involved in some, some, some uh, interesting metal ventures from the early 90s. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I, I think that's, that's a good place to leave things with, with a sorted heap. Um, I realise, like... I'm an hour and a half in, which is about the length I like for these episodes, but I've got a huge pile of CDs on my desk I haven't got to yet. So I think this weekend I'm just going to continue sitting here and recording part three as well. If you don't mind me going on on this subject for a while, like I promise, like this, like uh, when we, as I say, we'll, um, this episode will be out after the end of the year wrap up, and then so there'll be another two on the death metal stuff. Then, then something new. Um, I'm recording this very late November, and I'm having a bit of a, a bit of a creative drought with the podcast. So, if you've got some suggestions for stuff you'd like me to cover, that would be really good. I need to, like, I've been really infused on this um, like obscure death metal project, but. I need something else to get get excited about after this one. So if you've got any suggestions, any bands you want me to sort of deep dive on, anything like that, please, please get in touch. Um, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com or uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook. And yeah, just let, let me know if you, you've got any thoughts and stuff you'd like me to cover. Also with these episodes, I like... In my head, they're obscure, but they might be really well known. And I'd really like to know, like, did you know a load of these bands ahead of time? And, and even if you didn't and you enjoyed some of this stuff, have you got some other recommendations in that vein? Like, I really love that kind of death metal from the point where death metal got really oversaturated. I kind of love that sound. So if you've got any particular favourites that have dropped a bit under the radar, let me know, because I love, I really love collecting that stuff. Anyway, yeah, I'll... Um, 
I'll be back in two weeks with part three of this, which will probably be probably be a fairly short run through the last last few albums. But um, yeah, hopefully that's still of interest. And thanks a lot for sticking with us. Well,